Okay, this week on the podcast, the St. Helens Women's Captain and England International and Rugby League World Cup 2021 Ambassador as well, Jodie Cunningham. Welcome to Out of Your League. Mark, that's your round of applause. Thanks, guys. (laughs) Great clapping. Uh, Jody, lovely to have you on. Um, look, we—I I don't know. I say we. I'm obsessed with people's journeys and stories into the sport, and I know you've got a, an interesting one, a completely different one to most of the guests that we've had on on the podcast so far. I, I just—I remember reading that when you first went to a rugby league ground, I think you were about eight years old, and you thought, "What the hell is this? I never ever want to come near rugby league again." What, what are your memories yeah. of those early days? I know it's. It's bad that, isn't it? My dad reminds me that all the time because, yeah, he took me to a Warrington game at Wildersfield. Couldn't tell you who they played. I don't think I watched any of what was going on. And I just after it was like, Dad, never take me to there ever again. I don't know what is going on. Um, so, yeah, that was when I was about seven or eight. Didn't really show any interest in rugby league, watching or playing after. And, um, yeah, it wasn't until I went to high school then that, my mates convinced me, to be honest, um, because they started Emily Rudge, who's teammate at, at St. Helens in England and, you know, best mate then, still best mate now, which is great that we, we've sort of been through the journey together. She was the one who, who convinced me to play. Um, thought it was crazy, to be honest. The idea of running at someone as hard and as fast as you can while they do the same and try and hit you really hard does sound a little bit crazy. But, yeah, as soon as I sort of took part, first training session, particularly the first game, it was like, this is it. This is what I want to do. I'd done so many sports and it was like I just found that one that I wanted to commit to. I mean, back then when you were playing with Emily and we've had Emily on the podcast before, did, did you even think that there would be a route for you to get to where you've got to, to, to take it seriously and to take it, you know, professionally? No, not at all. And, you know, I've said this a few times. When I first started playing, I had no concept of being, a, you know, having a women's competition having an England women's team that just never even entered my head whatsoever because there wasn't any profile or visibility you know it's that cheesy phrase but I I absolutely love is that you can't be what you can't see and you know if young girls can't see some sort of pathway then they don't have any sort of dreams aspirations goals to get there so I didn't even though I'd always sort of watched the Olympics likes of Kelly Holmes Jessica Ennis Hill like literally just they were my idols I thought they were just absolute machines that's what I wanted, but I didn't know what sport I wanted it in. So then as soon as it was a coach, actually, Brian Chambers, who was a foundation coach at Warrington Wolves, came down and did a session with our school team and said to me and Emily after the session, you know, if, if you stick at this, I think you could play for England one day. And it was like that penny drop moment of, wow, that's even a possibility. I just hadn't considered it ever. And um, yeah, that was it then. As soon as he said that, how do I make that happen? And you know, me and Emily by the age of seventeen had both made our senior women's debut, so he he weren't far wrong. <laughs> yeah, and look, I know you studied, uh, you wanted to study medicine, didn't you? You Studied uh, biomedical science instead. I mean, it could have been a very, very different career for you, couldn't it? Yeah, it could, and I think that was the plan. It was always when I was sort of going through school, I want to be a doctor, and yeah, I went to college, was getting to the point where I had to apply for universities, but. As I mentioned, at 17, got selected in that senior England women's squad and the commitments were just 
get obviously increasing i had to commit more to training like actually at training but like training in and around it because i was tiny i was 52 kilograms when i first got picked in the england women's squad which is tiny even for the women's game i used to get thrown about in touch so it was it i needed to work a lot on myself so yeah it was that commitment balance and i decided to do biomedical science at university instead with the idea of i'll give rugby league a, a, a good shot and then I can always go on to do medicine afterwards. But yeah, I, you know, rugby league took off a little bit, managed to get selected at, for the World Cup squad whilst I was at university. So life took a different path for me, but wouldn't change a thing. And, and so happy I sort of made that decision. Yeah, look, Mark and John, you have to admire Jodie, don't you? Because when you think back to when you guys started and when you were coming through, you know, almost the academy systems and playing youth team rugby league, there was no, there's been no such infrastructure for Jody in that sense. It kind of makes the men's game look so simple as a pathway, John. Yeah, absolutely. Look, and you know, I had infinite numbers of role models, to, you know, to look up to, and 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 people who had trodden a path that I wanted to walk down. Um, so everything felt really achievable, and 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 there was a certainty about you know if I applied effort that I could well become. Uh, one of these sort of male sports stars that I've seen, but uh, you know I'm a big believer in you, you. You know you need role models, you need people who've trodden a path and they, they tread the path so you can follow. And um, you know in, in in women's sport, it's hugely important. You know that that we have those. And you know, like my wife was an Olympic swimmer. The Olympic sports get it right because the the, the female athletes have had such a long history at performing that there is a, a recognized path, but team sports is, it's, you know, relatively new and, and relatively, you know, I'd say lacking visibility. So for people to commit to that, to be the trailblazers, to be the visible icons that then inspire other, other young girls to go and play, I think it's huge. Like, is it anywhere near what me and Mark did? No, there's no, we didn't take a leap of faith. We, you know, we, we, it was a, like I said, uh, just a path that if you're committed to it for a certain amount of time and you're reasonably athletic and not stupid, you'll end up playing professional rugby league. <laughs> so, you know, that... A lot of stupid players made it, though, John. Yeah, but they're committed. They're very committed. That's you it. can be committed and, and still make it. But, yeah, so, you know, I, I have the utmost respect for people, uh, you know, in any walk of life who just go in a different direction, who, who, who blaze a trail for them to inspire other people. And it, it you know, it's, it's something that Jody, you know, should, you know, rightly be, be proud of. Uh, not that that was probably the intention when she started, I'd imagine that, you know, she probably, in, in, she probably enjoyed the game, you know? So we do, we do tend to sort of Hollywood it up, don't we? That there was really, you know, an intent to go and, you know, we all just love playing the game, I'd, I'd imagine. Mm. Yeah, look, I, I want to talk about the growth of the women's game later on. But Mark, if you think back to when you started and when you first sort of turned out for Wigan, where the women's game was, where women's rugby league was compared to now, I mean, it's it's impressive, but it's scary as, as to, to how far it's come in a short space of time. Yeah, it's really impressive uh, as to how far it's come. I, I can't really remember a women's game back then. I remember town team rug, women's or girls rugby when I was growing up as a teenager in Oldham um, but one thing to add to what John said it, like when we played there was light at the end of the tunnel we knew where we were going and if we carried on on that on that trajectory we'd, we'd, we'd reach professionalism but the other thing is the amount of commitment and time and money that would have been spent by the likes of Jodie and, and Emily as, as they 
kind of fashion their their way into the game, whether they're working as nine to five full time job or, or or studying at university. The amount of hours they'd have to put in and and time and expenses driving everywhere, protein shakes, all the rest of it. And, and to, to put that much investment in yourself when you don't know where, where it might lead to is something that should be commended. And, you know, like John said, people in women's sport need those icons to strive towards. And, and, and the front runners of, of, of that um, should, should really be held in high esteem. Jody, I know you've always had to have other jobs to, you know, financially to keep yourself going. But have you always had people who've been on board with your vision and your dream of playing for your country and turning out for Saints and captaining Saints? Or, you know, back in the day, did you have family members and other people thinking, come on, what, what are you doing? This is a pipe dream. I mean, family, of look, my family are amazing. They, I wouldn't be anywhere near where I am now without them in so many ways, I think. They just pick you up when you need it, you know. Even just mostly emotionally is is that support network. But I don't think they ever thought I'd particularly have a job in rugby league. And obviously, none of the women are professional athletes, so everyone is balancing that. You know, like say university or a full time job, and it, it is a lot of commitment. It, there's a lot of I don't like to use the word sacrifices, but let's use let's use it. Sacrifices and choices you have to make in order to to be at the top now you yes you can play the women's game and not make those sacrifices but in order to to be at the top to represent england to be part of those top teams competing for the amazing prizes and and the the first of the sport that happening now you do have to make those commitments and give up a lot but my family have always been there supporting me through the way i think there was times where they wanted me to maybe commit a little less so that i could focus on my career because i don't think the you know, the women's game still now isn't professional. It's it's getting much closer to it. But I think they would have preferred me to commit a little bit more to my career and, and try and focus on that a little bit. But I think it's really nice that now I've found a balance with working in rugby league. You know, I've got a full-time job for the Rugby League World Cup now, um, working on their community engagement programme. So it's all worked out. But yeah, I think at times they probably would have preferred a little bit more commitment in terms of career choicing. But it's, it was just one of those things. I was so passionate about it. I loved it. Like John said, I, it wasn't about laying a, a pathway for others. It was just how can I play as much rugby league as I possibly can and, and enjoy doing it. And yes, if that means playing for England, of course, I'll do everything I can to do that. But yeah, there was no sort of long-term goals around it. I just really enjoyed playing and wanted to do it as much as I could. How far off do you think we are professionalism in, in women's rugby league? Not that far off. And, you know, it's what's hard is it could be years away and it could be round the corner because all you need is a commercial partner to come in and chuck what would be a really small amount of money relatively to other sports at what is now becoming a really great product to make it professional. And I think, you know, this World Cup's going to give a, an amazing opportunity for the women's game to be on a platform it's never been on before. It's going to be obviously live on BBC. There's going to be eyes on this game, on rugby league in general, but obviously on the women's game that hasn't ever been there before. And a sponsor, a big company, could throw a relatively small amount of money and completely change a sport. And that's one thing I always advocate about women's sports is, yeah, you can have big sponsors that throw money at men's sports, but how much How much can you relatively change to, to, to the men's game that's already professional, it's already got its structures in place? You could actually completely change what a, a sport looks like for for the women's game by by chucking some money at it and really make a difference to people so 
I think it's a possibility, but I don't know. It could be around the corner or it could be sort of maybe like five years away. I'm hoping I can hold on a little bit uh, to maybe see, see some of that, but it's more than likely he's going to be when I've retired. And look, John and Mark, you, I know you've watched, you know, women's rugby league and you've watched Jodie play as well. In, in terms of the standard, because I don't think Jodie's going to say it herself, but, and we've had Emily Rodge on, on the podcast before, haven't we? The, the standard, um, the ceiling for the standard is, is still so high, but the, the rate of improvement has been drastic, hasn't it, over the last five years? Yeah, it's been exponential growth in the performance. You know, they're still in that exponential growth performance phase, which I'm thinking that the game's just getting better all the time. Um, so, you know, it, it's an exciting time for the, for, the, for the sport and certainly, you know, a huge moment for some investment to come in. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of money behind women's sport now, you know, and, and I think it's where the smart money is. It's where the smart commercial money's being invested. It's like Jody said, you can make a real difference really quick. And that's not the narcissism behind investing in sports sometimes. You know, you, you want to have a really visible impact. So for the guys with, you know, the, the, the businesses and the, the people with the big uh, wallets out there, you know, it's a smart player to get involved in, in the women's game. Uh, you know, and, you know, I, I think certainly that's what people will be looking at. Look, I'll throw some of these numbers at you, uh, Mark, and, and listen to this. This, I mean, you can't fail to be impressed by these. The popularity of um, of women's and girls' rugby league at an all-time high because there's been a 53% increase since 2017 of women and girls playing community rugby league, which is what it's all about, isn't it? It's where it starts. We talk about pathways. We mentioned that at the beginning of the podcast. There's got to be a pathway. It's got to go down to grassroots. And the growth has been across the age spectrum with a with a 23% increase in under 12s playing uh, in mixed gender competitions, which I guess is important as well. 85% in 12 to, to 16 year olds playing and a 36% increase in the over 16s playing in, in women's competitions. And look, those numbers probably could be distracting and, and sort of misleading, especially when you look at uh, 359% increase in female coaches. I'm not quite sure how many female coaches there were, Jodie, and how many there are now. Not but many. those numbers <laughs> are all going in the right direction, which is the key. Yeah, yeah, and I think we, we said we said off camera, um, Jordy and I were having a chat about um, the impact of COVID on sport, on team sport, and young women's sport, and how over the last twelve months people haven't been able to leave the house, play sport, see the friends, and I think when things are taken away from you, you probably realise what you had be, be, when, when you probably took it for granted, and the fact that you know people are going to be able to go and play sport, get dirty, get full of mud get a sweat on, play with the friends and, and achieve something uh, as a team, as a collective. It's something that, that that is so far removed from what people have been doing for the last 12 months, which is sitting on the phone, comparing their, their lives to what they see on Instagram and Twitter and all these toxic platforms on social media. So I think not just women's sport, but sport in general is going to see a real boost this, this back end of the year when people are able to just enjoy each other's company and and play sport together, and I think it's it could be really timely with the World Cup and uh, and this kind of trajectory that, that that women's sport and women's rugby league is going going on. So I think as as a byproduct of, of the tough times we've had, we've had, it might actually see a real boost in in women's rugby league and and, and sport in general. I think, Jody. obviously the, the pandemic has been a massive roadblock, hasn't it, for for not just women's sport, for for everyone and people out. 
listening to this, you know, will be like, well, look, sports, the, the last of our worries, because it's, it's killed people and it's affected people's livelihoods and so on. But when we focus on men's sport and Premier League and, the, 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 you know, they've not struggled, they, they, whether they've been furloughed or not, some of those clubs and some of the staff and some of the non-playing staff. But it seems to me that women's sport is so often, you know, behind the eight ball in terms of when the men's games came back. Women's Super League didn't take place for for 18 months following the, the season end in 2019. Competitions, tournaments cancelled. You guys were paid on a, on a match fee basis. I imagine it's been crippling um, and terminal for a lot of elite sportswomen's careers. Yeah, it, it was tough. I'm not gonna lie. It was it was a really shit 18 months of just. We did three pre seasons in that time, which you know everyone will, will know how awful a pre season is. You do that so that you know you get your games. That's what you're doing it for. Whereas we had that. We were due to play our first game of the season the week we went into lockdown. Uh, so we had completed a full pre-season. We then thought we would get back up and running towards the end. And um, so, you know, it was plan A, plan B, plan C. It kept getting pushed back. So we had to do another pre-season to make sure we were ready for that. Um, it didn't happen. And then obviously they started another pre-season ready for this 2021 season. It It detrimentally affected a lot of people. But at the same time, you know, when I think about the England women's team, we were obviously classed as elite sportswomen and therefore had exemptions to train. So we trained sort of, particularly towards the back end of 2020 and the start of 2021, we did so much training as a group, which would we have got that time otherwise? Probably not. Um, without having games, obviously, you're playing games, you pick up niggles, you can't do the intense training that, that you might like throughout the season, whereas we didn't have that also getting in the way, which means that, you know, the England girls, the squad, I've been part of that England squad now, since 2009 and it's probably the most athletic I've seen that group of players looking um, just because we've been able to focus on all of those elements um, so they, there are some benefits but then at the same time the women's super league wasn't classed as elite so everyone you know at Saints I think we've got is it 11 England internationals in our squad who were training had access to gym were doing all this fitness work and the other girls had to take sort of ownership and doing it themselves which they absolutely did I, you know I was so impressed with what state the girls came back in they clearly put the effort in during the off season because you know we want to go out and put a statement out there this year we, we want to win the trophies and it, it's been hard but at the same time i think as i said we've seen some of the benefits and it's just it's forced and maybe progressed some things to move forward a bit quicker so now we do sit under the elite sport framework as the women's super league which can only have benefits going forward and maybe that wouldn't have happened so early if it wasn't for the fact that we needed to get there in order to be able to get the season up and running. So it's a tough one, really. It, it was a really shit 18 months, but I think there's definitely some positives we can pull out of it. So are you saying that pandemic part one, your body, like John Wilkin, turned into a, a melted candle? Yeah, yeah. I, I, de I definitely did let myself go a little yeah. bit in lockdown one. I think I was like, yeah, it'll only last a few weeks. It's fine. It'll be a it's a well-deserved break. Um, but yeah, that that suddenly turned into I really need to get out and do some running. Luckily, the weather was nice, which made it a little bit easier. Um, but yeah, lockdown one did not do well for my body, um, so I had to put a little bit did more anybody, effort in. Did anybody do well out of lockdown one? Do you know? I don't trust the people who got really into training. Yeah, you know, like Mark was saying, he had. Oh, yeah, but God. lockdown three was a real issue for me. Yeah, exactly. Dark. So, right, you've got one of your lockdowns. Of... You've got to pick, pick one, two, or three. Which one are you going to go nuts in? So it's like the Godfather, isn't it? In... 
lockdown one. Yeah. Lockdown three was uh, a beer and Toblerone addiction for myself. <laughs> Whereas John's not trained since lockdown one, I don't think, have you, John? No, no. Happily. Half man, half croissant at the minute. Ha- happily deconditioning. <laughs> <laughs> but um look on a serious note jody um and it's easy isn't it to in hindsight i guess and at the time to to blame certain people but do you think that sporting bodies within the uk did enough to protect women's sport during the pandemic because i know there were a lot of men's sports that suffered as well and they're still suffering and who, guys who haven't come back but what about the women's side I think every sport's different. I don't think you can you can't blanket it, but I do think women took a hit, and that was often the question that I was getting asked: was you know, do you think COVID is going to mean that women's rugby league falls by the wayside? And I, I was absolutely confident it wouldn't. One because of the momentum we'd luckily built going into it, which meant that you know we were making a bit of noise, and people were starting to care, people were starting to notice, and and would therefore notice if if it started to disappear. But then equally, um, having the World Cup in 2021, there's been a lot of investment, time and money from government, from you know, from everyone involved. Clubs have got interest in this, hosts that have, have invested in it. And I think everybody wants England to perform at that, at that World Cup. There's been so much work going into making sure that, you know, England women were, you know, weren't, we weren't good enough in 2017. Um, it was awful coming back from that world cup knowing that actually we were just too far away it was do you know what i mean we could have had the best game possible against the aussies and the kiwis they'd have had to have their worst game possible and then we might have we might have possibly nicked it and that's an awful feeling coming away like that so there was so much investment going into it because we wanted to make sure that 2021 on home soil we're contending to lift that trophy and and that was all happening so that meant that nobody could forget about women's rugby league because they needed to make sure that you know the the structure was in place for us to carry on and and be able to compete in that world cup so really i think that's a godsend and it's something that i've been grateful for is that we've got that sort of shining light there that's that's made sure we're still on everyone's radar had, had the world cup not been this year jody would it have looked any different do you think i don't know it's hard to say isn't it i think there was that there was that added motivation for everyone to make sure that that the women's game got back up and running or that was supported in some way um i think it could have easily fell away particularly from an england setup point of view you know i think it's completely different obviously not but not being through the the men's setup like you guys but from a from a women's perspective contact time is so important for us um but we only tend to get the contact time when we've got some sort of tournament to play for whether it's going so 2019 we got loads of contact time together because we had the world cup nines we went on the first women's tour of png which was amazing so we had these incredible things that we were building towards previously you know i can remember 2014 after the world cup in 2013 we barely had any time together because we didn't have an international match that year so I think it's definitely helped to just keep it really high up the agenda. And it's it's hard to know. I know there's a lot of people who are working really hard behind the scenes to push the women's game. And these people who've been advocates of the women's game for many years and, you know, felt like they were banging on, on sealed doors at times, but they've slowly started to open them and people are starting to take note. There's so many people now where before, if I said I played rugby league to somebody new, they'd, they'd ask, is it touch rugby? You don't look like a rugby player. Like they would, there would never be a response that was anything like, "Oh yeah, 
this team's the good team or this team's winning. You know, I played for Thato Heath in St. Helens. I don't think anybody outside of that closed bubble of women's rugby league would have been able to tell you that Thato Heath was the best team in the women's competition or maybe even heard of them having a women's team. And we won Challenge Cups, Grand Finals, everything. Um, whereas now, what genuinely happens is I'll speak to someone about rugby league and they'll say, oh, yeah, Wigan won the first Grand Final, didn't he, in the women? Or, you know, Leeds did the double last year. That, that must have been a killer. They, they knocked you out in the semis. And as much as that's awful to be reminded of, every single time, whether it's a positive or negative comment, I'm just like, brilliant. There's someone else that's noticed and given a little bit of a shit about the women's game, whether in a positive or negative way. They're now giving a shit. And, and I think once you can get people invested in it in one way or another, then you can start to make change and you can start to make progress. So I always, for me, it's just that acknowledgement of the game it is, is there now. I think that's really interesting because it, it is a change of gear. And look, I'll just talk from, from my own experiences. I remember when I started at Five Live, Jody, and you know, I, I was reading the sports news. So essentially, you know, on national radio, giving people the sports news and, that you think of the editorial in that it, I, it was, I obviously had a producer but between us we would go through and think right what what is interesting what order does it go in what doesn't make that minute sports bulletin every second on national radio is expensive isn't it so you know time is is um is of the essence in that sense and and i remember having a conversation with claire boarding about this and she said look it's people like you if you don't make a change and and, and as simple as two people sitting there going like do you know what we'll put some women's rugby league news in jody cunningham's out with a knee injury for six months whatever you know that wouldn't normally wouldn't have been anywhere near the agenda certainly when you've got a top of the hour bulletin and and you look now on bbc sport website on the sky website on bt and whatever women's sport is prominent in in the headline news if you're looking at the numbers of people who might read those bulletins, when you're saying about selecting and you've got to make that choice, but the engagement that you get from it, like the meaningful engagement from from whatever that is being put out. So if you look at social media, for, exa for example, Bet Betfred now are dominating, they, they're sponsoring everything, aren't they, in terms of, of rugby league. So they've got the women's competition, they've got Challenge Cup now, obviously Super League. And if you look at when, when Betfred TV and they put stuff out, they might put something out which is, an update on George Williams, he might go in here, he might go in there. It might, it might get a little bit of engagement on social media. Whenever there's anything pushed out about the women, because this the one really, really ad advocates of the game that will support it in every way, shape or form, he'll get behind anything that's put out. But equally, the players engage with it a lot more because it's so new, it's novel to us. So any sort of engagement we get, actually for, for Betfred, that might get double the amount of likes, comments, engagement, retweets, because actually there's women there who are really engaging what's being put out. Whereas, you know, if, you, if you're pushing something out in terms of men's sport, there's probably 10 other different articles that are going out at the same time from different different news media that actually, how much engagement does it really get? So it's it's a tough one, really. That, But I just think that there's, there's definitely ways of making the most of the fact that, yes, all right, it might not have the, the numbers, that, that you'd be looking for, but the meaningful engagement of the content you push out is actually better. And I've just got a question for Will. From a broadcaster's point of view, how how would how's the what's the attitude from producers and those above you to push the women's sport and get it on on the agenda on 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 the radio, TV, spot, social media, whatever. I think it's completely changed. And obviously when you work somewhere like the BBC and the BBC, it's got it's gone through the BBC, Jody, hasn't it? A lot quicker than it would have gone through Sky and BT. Based, 
based on the fact that, you know, how the BBC is funded and structured and the whole infrastructure of that organisation. But like I say, I, I'm just talking about it over that 10 year period where it just was nowhere near the top of the agenda to being quite rightly. And, and it's like, you know, we, we've talked about, you know, even even on subjects of racism and, you know, um, black people in the media, black sportsmen. And so on. I think it's at a, it was at a stage where it needed to be forced for that transition to happen, to get it to where it is, it is now, where it just seems normal now, doesn't it? You click on the BBC Sport website. And there's a story about Neymar, and next to it, there's a story about Jodie Cunningham. That that's what how it should be, and that that seems normal. Whereas that was so far from the norm. I, I say ten years, maybe even five, six years ago. And the more that you have these major tournaments where people have profile, and you 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 you, you know absorb their personalities, and you know more about them, just like we we do about Premier League footballers, just naturally because it's always been there's been no filter on that. Then then that's the direction we're going in and, and that's what's so massive for you Jody, ahead of this world cup because it's about building these people's stories and, and and selling these stories well i find it interesting you know what you say about engagement and, and the athletes are more engaged you know um with with social media and, and would get behind uh, uh, you know and interact with with promotions that are going on the game i think male team sports you, you couldn't be further from that you know there's almost a, a certainly football more than rugby it's give nothing away, give nothing away to anybody because of the vitriol that comes back at players. Um, and, you know, I think it's same in rugby league to an extent. There's a large amount of vitriol comes towards, you know, the, the male sports stars. So I think there's a reluctance for them to interact. But I suppose my question was, is there any vitriol online towards you? Have you ever experienced any of that yet? Or is it, is it still all, you know, really positive feedback that you're getting? It's getting towards that point where it's starting to come into it. And and again, I suppose it's trying to see, like I was mentioning before, it's people are now giving a shit and it might be in a really negative way, but they're still giving a shit, still commenting. And, and to them, it's come up, it's, it's come up on their social media and they felt strongly enough about it to make a comment. So it is starting to come in. And um, before it wasn't, it was probably in a negative way people so scared to say anything bad about the women's game so if you know if if you showed one of the women's games for the first time ever in 2019 we played we shown the uh the grand final was on sky for the first time ever but everyone's so scared of saying anything bad about you know this person played badly or this team didn't perform because you know we should be promoting the women's game we should be doing that so it's actually got to progress to a point where you can actually criticise the sport as well in the same way you you would if, you know, St. Helens men played badly. If a particular player played badly, they'll make sure he knows about it. And we sort of need to take that on board as actually that's part of that progress. Like it or not, it's it's sort of part of the progress of, of yeah, I suppose, growing that popularity and that media profile. It's a little bit patronising that people aren't allowed to give the true feelings because they don't want to offend anybody. Whereas it's getting to that way now where people are watching it more, they're more engaged with it so they can give the true feelings rather than have being conscious that they're going to come back out as being too critical. And I suppose it's just getting getting people in, in, in that rhythm of it, really. I, I hate this because, right, what are we encouraging people to do, right? We're encouraging people to lie, be dishonest about what yeah. they think about stuff. And I find it... I find it that it forces people's opinions underground. Now, there will be people out there, wrongly in my opinion, who think that the women's game is a joke and it's not 
you know, really that serious. And, and, you know, I think we need to encourage an open and honest discussion with these types of people who think that rather than what we do is we force it underground. We, we make it like, uh, we, we drive it away. I think there needs to be really open, honest and frank discussion about it with, with those kinds of people, because that's honesty, you know, and, 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 you know, I think people not wanting to upset people is a rugby league issue. I don't think the journalism in rugby league is particularly, um, I would I would say it's not very challenging to players. I don't think we very rarely get after players who aren't performing. I don't think there's a lot of critical analysis of players during games about how they perform. And I think rugby league is a very nice sport and it's a very small sport, so we're all very nice to each other, aren't we? But I think there is a discussion to be had where we, you know, we get everything good and bad that could be said about the women's game, about the men's game, and let's get it out there and talk about it rather than just keep forcing people's opinions underground. We need John Wilkin to be Roy Keane. That's what we need. No, we don't. John Wilkin we is really the Roy don't. Keane of rugby league. No, he's not. <laughs> you hit the nail on the head there, though, John, in terms of it's because it's so insular, or it always has been, the women's game even more so, that you can argue that the men's yeah. game is. Um, but the women's game even more so. Everybody involved in it knew the people in it so therefore if i if i make a comment and say you know emily rudge was was absolutely shit today then she'd turn around to me and be like well, hang, hang on a minute mate that's not very nice you're calling me out and, and it's so it was it was way too insular to to be critical whereas now people are being critical because they don't know anyone in the sport if you'd have gone to a women's game a couple of years ago i don't think you'd have met one person in the crowd that didn't have some connection to a player friend family member, some sort of relative. So therefore, it's going to be much nicer. People aren't going to want to criticise it or are going to be sensitive if it is done. Whereas now, these people who are watching the women's game for its entertainment value and therefore can criticise it because they don't know anyone and they don't really care if they offend anyone. Hey, the St. Helens players bar never worried the uh, family and friends in there if they were slagging each other's sons and daughters off. Carol, Carol was straight. Oh, Carol with a gin and tonic in her hand. Fucking Carol Kieran Cunningham, a fat prick. Oh, I don't trust that Lomax. He wears a scrum cap. <laughs> my mum, my mum actually. My mum and dad got invited to go to, I can't remember what the game was last year. Oh, yeah, yeah, it was St. Ellen's Warrington. Yeah, because I was like, mum, please don't wear any Warrington kit. I've been invited as the Saints captain. Please, please don't wear your Warrington kit. And she's like, oh, yeah, but I'm a proud Warrington fan. I was like, I know, but just for once, please. So she was like, okay, I've only got a tiny badge on. I'll hide it. I was like, right, okay, I'll accept that. I was like, but you need to be careful because we're around all sort of the family and friends of the players. So you need to be careful. Literally, 10 minutes in, she's the most biased fan you'll ever meet. Every decision she's shouting for. And then I don't, I have no idea who they relate to, but there's two guys behind who just, that's it. They knew then, they had her. So they just kept winding her up. And she's proper <laughs> lost the plot and started arguing with them. And I'm like, Mum, you promised me, you promised me you wouldn't kick off. But she's just, she is your typical passionate rugby league fan. And I love that about her. It's brilliant. But yeah, at that time, I was like cringing in my seat. Like, I really hope nobody knows who I am. <laughs> hey, did, did I tell you, ever tell you guys this one? This one about my old man in France. Did I tell you the story about my old man in France, Will? Have I ever told you this story? No. So my, uh, my dad was in a bar in Perpignan after a game and I, I probably not played well. You know, I'd imagine there, there was a couple of guys in there who were just giving me some stick, which is just par for the course. You know, it happens. 
Um, my dad had listened to it, had a couple of beers, listened to it a bit more. And then they came talking to him and they kept going in pretty hard on me, which, <laughs> which was funny. So my dad did something that he's never done since and he'll likely never do again, is he bent down, grabbed the guy by his ankles and lifted him up upside down. <laughs> <laughs> Big Philly. <laughs> yeah, well, Carol Wilkin was like, Philip, what are you doing? That's bloody typical, and, that. And, de- and then, did one of your teammates' fathers come in and um, get involved as well? Maybe, maybe. For the purposes of this story, we'll call him Mr. X, uh, Robs' his dad. <laughs> <laughs> A full-on brawl. <laughs> no, 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 no. Look, just what you were saying, Jody, about the online thing, it struck a bit of a chord with me. I think the way I'm going to phrase it, I'll be careful, but when you're getting online abuse and if you're getting online abuse, to me that almost seems quite refreshing as a sign of acceptance to a certain degree because the trolls are always going to be there. I find it quite refreshing that trolls are there because I quite like those sort of freaks out there that they'll just gunny for absolutely everything those people whether it's on an online platform or whether it's it's never to your face or whether it's just in the flesh somewhere else behind your back they're always going to be there those type of people but the the fact that it's happening is a is almost a sign of progression isn't it i mean you know it's happening in women's football now as well it's kind of you're on a level playing field yeah i think that's the only way of seeing it because it isn't nice and you know take my hat off to to the, the male players who must get a hell of a lot more than we get and we're having to grow that thicker skin you know I've had I've had bits of it I've not had much um, I just try and ignore it because you know do you care about what their opinions are there's always going to be someone that you can't please everyone there's going to be someone that, that you upset for one reason or another um, but yeah it, it does show progression like I said it means that these, these people outside of that women's rugby league bubble who are now watching feeling the need to criticise and well I suppose everyone's everyone's got an option to do that now on social media so I think for us it's about being able to grow that thicker skin being able to ignore it and only really step in if you feel like you absolutely have to because I'm sure with the you know the increased profile we're going to get over this year hopefully uh, in the Women's Super League and then through into the World Cup it's only going to increase so yeah some of the women are going to have to be prepared for I think particularly in the World Cup I think you know if you have a bad game for club you've got a week then to brush it off go again the next weekend um but i think in a world cup if you have a bad game you've got another one coming in a couple of days time you've not got time to let negative comments affect you you've got to be able to sort of brush that off so i definitely think it's something we're gonna have to be aware of um so that it doesn't affect us going into that world cup but like you say i suppose in a backwards way it's progression that people are deciding they want to throw some abuse at you and, and Jordy, since since you started playing, since you started playing rugby all those years ago, have you experienced many uh, uh, sexist remarks? Uh, and how has that impacted your love for the game and your will to play and, and train and, and achieve all you've done? I don't think sexist remarks in in sort of a direct sense. Probably like a, a in a subtle way where people don't necessarily mean it, but it probably it probably is. Um, like I say, you get the the regular ones, which is usually you don't look like a rugby player. But then at the same time, I'm like, what do you expect? Did you expect me to be, you know, full kit, ball in hand? Like, what what were you expecting <laughs> for me to then justify that I am a rugby league player? Um, but then, what are the I ones think... that really piss you off the most, Jody? The ones that come on, there must be ones where you talk about amongst your teammates. You're like, that's the 
the the biggest fucking roadblock and obstacle and the thing that you get the whole time the one that just grinds your gears the worst one for me that that pisses me off is that you usually always get asked the question of oh my god is there loads of lesbians do you actually get showered in front of them and then you're just like how much of a ridiculous question is that like it just honestly that and it's happened it happens less now because they, people are seeing it as a sport for what it is whereas years ago it just had this ridiculous stereotype that every single every single player must be a lesbian and also must fancy every single person on their team i'm like that's absolutely ridiculous to think that like do Some you sort if of you saw a male like yeah rooted male like yeah patriarchal Issue. fantasy type situation there and it? it's just like <laughs> it's quite pathetic isn't it <laughs> yeah yeah but that, yeah yeah it's insulting i think for like whether it doesn't matter what sexuality you are there's there's every type of sexuality but it's irrelevant to what we're there to do. We're there to play rugby. Nobody's going there for any other reason. So why that's even a question that comes up baffles me. That was always the one that used to wind me up the most. It wasn't from Mark Flanagan, was it? Not on this occasion. No. It's mad how people are still asked about who other people fancy, isn't it? And that's what it boils down to. Why are you asked if John Wilkin well, fancies men or women? It doesn't well, matter. But... but yeah, that's true, but it's also why is that not the case for male sports? Why are they not? Oh, do you play rugby because mm. you're gay? Because you shower with men? Like, it's just not. There's an attachment there with all female sports team sports people must be lesbians. Why? Because by definition, the butch. Why? Because they like team sports. Why? Oh, they they want to be in a team because they're lesbian. Like, it's just, it's so like antiquated. It's just, it's mental. Like and yeah, but that's that being said. Like I said, if that if that if that viewpoint's out there, it'll surface itself, and it and it has done with Jody. I think for Jody, you know, I wonder if people patronise you. You know, I, I think that was I think that'd annoy me most. Um, being patronised, you know, that all oh, no, aren't you brave or you know all that, that sort of stuff. Like I think that that'd really annoy me. Yeah, you get that a bit. I think. For me, I found it most annoying, not necessarily in regards to playing, but I think, you know, if you're in, say you, I was watching a Super League game and I'd be in the pub and all the blokes are chatting and you'd sort of be like, oh, such and such is having a great game. Oh, you know, he should, he, he's, he's hitting the inside shoulder there. He should have skipped out and hit it. You know, and, and it's like, who are you to comment on the rugby league? Like, and, but irrelevant of the oh. fact that actually I've been coached by some of the best coaches. You know more than all of them. You know, I've I've played the game since I was young and, and had so much experience. It's irrelevant, really, because people always want to compare you directly. So they want to say, OK, well, could you tackle the the best best men's player? Could you tackle them? Or um, what would you be able to bust the tackle from them? And it's like, well, that's irrelevant. That direct comparison is just... It's the worst thing about men's and women's sports is when you directly compare them and expect them to be the same because these biological differences. So we are not the same. And no, I'm not gonna, you know, the biggest prop in the men's super league would probably break me in half, but that's not, that's not what I've got to do. I'm not being challenged against him. I'm being challenged against the best women's players in England and then the best women's players in the world, in the World Cup. So it is absolutely irrelevant whether he's bigger or stronger or faster than me, because I'm, that direct comparison is just ridiculous. Jody, just going around pubs, She's going around pubs in the northwest, just trampling on male egos. There's a group of men there having a pint, and Jody's like, "Well, actually, you know, if he, if he should really hooked his leg there. <laughs> They're not giving the rock. 
I love it. I absolutely love it. You could just imagine a, just a, a, a mouthful of Guinness going back into a pint glass, like <laughs> trampling all over their egos. Good work. Do you think it's it's a sort of a, a tribal insecurity almost as well? I know we've touched on it because rugby league. Let's face it. You know, it is a it is a very inclusive sport, and you only have to go to a Super League game to see that there are a lot of women there in the, in the crowd and a lot of young girls, which is brilliant. But when you think of those opinions that have been flying your way, Jody, it's it seems to me that it's people who've grown up on the terraces watching Saints and Wigan and Witness and Wakefield and whatever years and years ago with their dad, with their uncle, with their male cousins and, and brothers and so on, that it was a place where men went and it wasn't a place for women. And, and inherently, down the years, the peop- that, th- those ideas have not been rid of. Yeah, that, that's exactly it. And I think, you know, as human beings, we don't like change. We like what we're comfortable with. And when someone challenges that, it's uncomfortable. You know, if you take professional men's club, the best thing to happen for the women's game was that formation of the Women's Super League where we were linked with the men's clubs because we automatically got respect by wearing that badge. Now, whether we'd earned it or not, whether, whether we were fit enough or strong enough by whoever's standards to wear that shirt or good enough players to wear that shirt, having the badge playing on you know playing at the totally wicked stadium and having the same kit on as the men got us instant respect from certain fans instant followers and people who cared what was going on but equally it got young people who were in the like you say there's there's so many spectators who are women young girls who were in the crowd who can now that's now a, a dream that can happen i was at um Fat Heath presentation night uh, in my Saint, you know, I had obviously like the Saints badge on and everything else. It was the first year of the of the Women's Super League. And her dad came up to me and was like, you don't realise what you've done because for years I've had to tell my little girl when she's telling me in the stands, dad, I'm going to play for Saints one day. He always had to tell her she can't. Like, that's not a possibility. And he's like, you've now made that possible. Like having that direct correlation with these men's clubs who've got ready-made fan bases they've got that heritage and respect around it is what's made the women's game just shoot up because there's that interest but equally you have which again is really hard is you have people who think you don't deserve to wear that shirt yet you've not earned it so for example we got our names on the back of our shirts for the first time ever in the saints this season for saints and it meant so much to me and that's just something that probably the men's players don't even really think about but for us, I'm a 29-year-old. I've played for England for you know, 11, 12 years. I've never had my name on my back, and that meant loads to me. Yet there'll be loads, that, loads of people in, who have opinions that think, well, hang on, the women haven't deserved to have this. They don't deserve to wear that shirt because are they good enough? They've not been through X, Y, and Z to get there. And it's you know, there's, a, there's always a chicken and egg. You need to give something respect to then build it into the product it can be. Um, and we're in that sort of transition phase at the minute where, you know, we're an elite, we've got elite sports status and there's definitely athletes that, and teams that fall under that category. There's probably some that don't, but how do you grow the women's game? How do you get eyes on it? How do you get commercial interest without making a drastic change like that? So there's always going to be this sticking period where there's a lot of opinions that don't think it should happen. Um, and I think we're slowly changing that. I think there's, there's lots of people who were against it years ago who are absolutely on board with the Women's Super League now and can see the direction it's going in. But yeah, I think there's, it's just a lot of people stuck in the ways who either the concept of women playing or the fact that they think you've been handed something because, oh, all of a sudden there's a Women's Super League and you've not built this heritage over years. 
People have been playing for years. Women's Rugby League didn't only exist in 2018 when the Women's Super League happened. You know, people have been playing for years on crappy fields and didn't care and still gave everything. You know, people were paying to go and play for England themselves and raising money and doing this, that and the other. Like, we're building, it's a progress. And when I first started playing, I didn't get a cap for England. I didn't get a heritage number. They've been retrospectively given. And that was one of the proudest moments of my life. I've got my heritage number tattooed on me. So, you know, it's it's all a process. And I think we're slowly getting there with changing those perceptions. Well said, Jody. That was absolutely brilliant. And look, I mean, you know, I want to spend this last section talking about the World Cup because that is a pinnacle, isn't it? And you talk about building and playing on crappy pitches and then suddenly you're going to be playing or whoever gets to the final of the World Cup at Old Trafford um, on the same day that the men's play, the men's team is playing the final. So, I mean, that's that's what it's all about. Like you said, it's playing at Saints uh, on the same day as the men and playing with the kit and playing with your names on the back of the shirts. And why on earth should you not have that as well? But your connection with the World Cup, it's an emotional one, isn't it? You played in 2013, you played in 2017, and you only just managed to play in 2017. But your journey to get there was was a hell of a, a hell of a trip. Yeah, that was that was a really tough time. And actually, I'm a much better player because of it. Now I can look back, obviously, now I'm back playing. I can look back and think, it, it, I'm sort of glad it happened in a way. But yeah, did my, I snapped my ACL um, in the build-up to that World Cup. I think I think it was about five months out. It was sort of end of May time. Um, but obviously, at first, we didn't, you know, we, at this point, it was still Fat O'Heath. We didn't even have a physio there. Um, but I, obviously done biomedical science at uni did quite a lot about the knees my mum's had bad knee problems and I, I sort of knew straight away like the way it went knew it was going to be it, it weren't going to be anything good you know I'd never been carried off a pitch before and I was in you know I was in a bad way and um yeah it wasn't until loads of people didn't think I'd done anything bad you know when they do the tests like you guys will know when they're sort of doing those tests on the pitch and the the checking your ligaments they all seemed stable and it wasn't until I got my scan results that yeah I'd fully snapped my ACL partially done my MCL and meniscus in two places so surgeon was just like yep here you go here's the forms um you need to have your operation and I literally couldn't process what he was telling me that meant the world cup was like completely out of the question for me and um, I just, I, at that time, I said, you know, you need to give me a bit of time. I can't process what you're saying. I need to come back in a week's time. Um, so I did. And then I sort of spoke to a few people. And, you know, like I say, that nobody thought I'd actually done it because my knee felt really stable. So I wanted to just give it a go. And I was like, my body hadn't told me yet that I was done. And I knew it was really highly unlikely. You know, the surgeon said to me, he was like, I give you 5% chance at best. But to be fair, 5% was way more than the 0% that I thought. So I was like, five in 100 sounds way better than 5%. You only got to be one of five people in 100. And I, I sort of backed myself to be one of those five. So I just said that I'm going to do it, even if it's just for, for my own mental state, I'm going to try because it's worth five months of my life to get to that World Cup. If it doesn't work, it doesn't work. I'm fully prepared for that, but at least let me try and let my body give up on me. And then, yeah, just like had the support, obviously, of England to do that, which um, they were fantastic with me, you know, went through all the rehab process, you know, the check boxes of, you know, squatting, body weights, all that type of thing, running in a straight line, change of direction, and every single stage, I just, you know, it felt good. And even when we were doing fitness testing uh, before the World Cup, and the physio came to me and was like, you're stepping off your your bad knee every time and I was like 
I have to know that it's okay. Like there's no, I can't go to that World Cup as a passenger and I've got to prove to you that I'm worth taking in the state I'm in. So yeah, I, I went through it all and, and had some really tough conversations with my coach, Chris Chapman at the time, because he didn't know whether he could take a risk on me, whether I, was, whether I got through all the training pre-World Cup or not. He didn't know if he could take that risk and I just trusted that he'd make the right call for the team and if he thought I could genuinely add add something to it that he'd, he'd take me and if he didn't think I could then he wouldn't pick me and that would be the right call so it worked out in the end I remember just being sat on the plane like wow it's actually you know I've actually got there now I've actually got to perform and um, because everything was just about getting there originally but played you know every game of that world cup full 80 minutes other than semi-final it my knee give way in the last two minutes of the game but it was already gone New Zealand had sort of hammered us in that second half and yeah, it, it all worked out for me, but it, it could have been completely different. And lot, for lots of people, that wouldn't have been the right call to make because it was a very unhealthy time in my life of, you know, gym before work, gym after work. Like, just I couldn't focus on anything else other than doing the rehab because I had to know 100% that I'd give it everything. Otherwise, what was the point? Um, but yeah, it all worked out in the end. And, and I'm glad I made that decision, really. And look, all those obstacles that we've we've talked about, um, Jody, that you know, with COVID and everything that's happened in the last eighteen months, two years, uh, financial impact and you know, mental health impact of players and so on. How amazing is this going to be to be able to? And it's 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 a cringy cliche now to say, to showcase the sport because the women's game is more than that now. But what an opportunity to do that um, alongside the men's World Cup. Yeah. You know, I'm I'm not ashamed of saying we still have to piggyback on the men's competition. We need to, you know, the men need to see that the women's game is not something separate. It's a way of growing rugby league because I'm a prime example of my family weren't rugby league fans. I know I said my dad took me to that game, but he didn't go regular. And I never remember it being on telly when I was a kid. But off the back of me getting into rugby league, all my family were season ticket holders, go to Magic Weekend, go to every Challenge Cup, irrelevant of who's there, grand final, watch the internationals all around the world. That's money being invested back into rugby league. That's more people caring about our sport. So when you think about the women's game, it's not just about, well, how many tickets are they going to sell? It's actually about, okay, what do they bring to the game? Is the new commercial sponsors that are now interested because we've got more of a diverse range of people involved? And I think that's what this World Cup's showing. You know, men's, women's and wheelchair, we've got every single aspect they could possibly think of. We've also got the PDRL element to it as well. And I think that's been proven already by, if you look at the, the sponsors that have been brought into this World Cup, they're not your, your traditional sponsors that have been involved before. They're completely new to the game. And that's just showing that actually if you do things a little bit different, there are people who'll take notice and take look and hopefully, you know, they'll be part of the sport well after this World Cup's gone. You know, for me... Yes, personally, I want to get picked for this World Cup firstly. I want to perform in it. But then equally, I want to, at the end of it all, look and go, wow, Like the women's game is in such a fantastic place going into 2022 because we need to use double headers where we can expose the women's game to all the fans who are already interested, but equally, hopefully new fans who just want the excitement of a major sporting event. And then go on then, from this England team that we're all going to watch during this World Cup, who are the women that we should be looking out for? Who are the people that are going to be making those headlines in that England team? And how good shape are, are you in ahead of the tournament? Really good. Um, 
you know, like I say, it's it's so exciting. We've got a really young squad actually, um, with just a few sort of seasoned internationals, uh, like myself. But Emily Rudge is in the form of a life. I know she's my best mate, but I've got a name dropper. She actually really is. Um, you know, she she's scoring tries for fun. She equally, um, she will take more carries than anyone in a game, irrelevant of what position she's in, because she's just she's that aggressive player that you want on your team. Yeah, like I say, she's in the form of a life. Amy Hardcastle, she's recently come to Saints. And again, center. I've never seen her play. Yeah, centre. Yeah. I've never seen her play the rugby that she's playing now. She scored 10 tries in three games at the start of the season. So absolutely on fire. Um, if you look at Castleford, I think Georgia Roach is a really exciting young halfback. Um, she's someone to definitely look out for. I know she's going to be a, a key figure of our World Cup team. Tara Stanley as well is another one, full-back. Um, she's been out injured for the start of this season, but will be back soon enough, um, and I'm sure she'll put a stamp on this season. They're some of the main ones, but Daniel Anderson, unfortunately, she's just done her ACL and, and he's out of this World Cup, unfortunately. But she'd have been a really good a good one to look out for. Plays for Leeds at, at prop. Yeah, the, these loads. Grace Field, hat-trick for York at the weekend. She's just changed over from Castleford to York and York's her hometown club and I think that definitely spurred her on to get a last minute victory for, for York in the Challenge Cup. So lots of names to look out for. Amazing. Well, look, we are, we've seen, haven't we, that the impact that cricket, football, rugby union have had in, on the on the women's side from, from World Cup exposure on home soil and I really genuinely hope that it works out for you guys as well and you get the same thing. I know, John, you'll be covering quite a lot of it, won't you as well? And Mark, might, yeah. you might even get a gig as well, Mark. Probably yeah. not. No, probably not. Yeah, I'll be looking forward to uh, to covering some of the uh, the women's World Cup games. And I think you know, Jody, you, you are a, fan, a phenomenal ambassador for the women's game. Whether you whether you wanted to be or whether you wanted to be or not, you've become a phenomenal ambassador for the game. I think you should be rightly proud of of, of that. And it's a very exciting year for, for for the sport. And I just want to wish you all the best for the end of the year. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thanks, John. Thank you so much for coming on, Jody. Really appreciate it. Have a great World Cup and uh, no doubt we'll speak to you soon. Brilliant. Cheers, Will. Cheers, Mark. Cheers, John. Cheers, everyone. There we go. Another out of your league in the bag. Uh, remember, you can download all the episodes from wherever you get your podcast. We'll have a fresh episode for you uh, every week and you can give us a follow at Out of Your RL on Twitter. See you next time.